The information contained in this podcast is provided for your general information only. It does not give medical advice or engage in the practice of medicine. This massage podcast under no circumstances recommends particular treatment for specific individuals and in all cases recommends that you consult your physician or local treatment center before pursuing any course of treatment. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Massage Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Adkins, along with Elaine Kalenda, who will be here shortly, and Jorge, our producer. You can find us at massagepodcast.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or send a text message at 303-656-9860. Come chat with us during our live recordings, and please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Today is episode 37 of our massage podcast which we are here to talk about massage body work and all types of natural medicine today we have a special guest jeff kiker he's a naturopath doctor and he'll be discussing holistic medicine with us today jeff has uh graduated as a massage therapist in 1996 and later went on to become a naturopath doctor welcome to the show jeff Thanks, glad to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started and how you ended up where you are today? Sure. Um, well, like she said, I did uh, my massage training at the Boulder School of uh, Massage Therapy, which is what it was back in 1996. Um, from there, I opened a private practice in Boulder, Colorado, and also worked closely with chiropractors. And um, working with them, I started to learn more and more about the body more interested in health sciences as a whole, and uh, continued on with my studies, really. I, went into, uh, I got my Bachelor's of Science in Biology with a philosophy minor, kind of a focus on microbiology, and found that it's very helpful later in my medical career, but um, I used massage therapy throughout my training to... Um, well, it's a great college job in many ways because you can set your own schedule. Um, from there, after working with a number of therapists and other clinicians, um, kind of got the push towards medical school. That was back in 2002, which is also when I graduated from uh, Metro State College of Denver. And that ultimately led me, um, in my experiences and whatnot, working with other alternative practitioners to attend the Naturopathic College in Portland, Oregon the National College of Naturopathic Medicine, which is one of four accredited colleges for naturopathic medicine in the United States. There's two in Canada. And it's uh, very much like a, uh, any medical school um, in the nation, especially the first two years. We focus on health sciences and medical science to get us all on par together. And for instance, in the state of Oregon, we're licensed as primary care physicians. And um, I often joke that we have one of the largest tool bags in medicine because um, BMDs seem to have just pills, uh, a knife, or learn to live with it as options. With naturopaths, we make custom treatment plans to work with a patient to allow them to reach their health goals as quickly as possible and with using modalities that they're comfortable with. Sometimes we might use botanical medicine. Sometimes we might use uh, homeopathic medicine. 
or physical medicines, which is where the massage really blends in well. Um, everything from uh, we train in spinal manipulation, constitutional hydrotherapy, um, advanced massage techniques, and um, we're able to utilize those with our patients. We also train in IV therapy and nutrition, which is uh, one of our biggest focuses. For those that don't know, the naturopathic uh, modalities or naturopathic practitioner is very well trained in preventative medicine and chronic care cases. Whereas an MD is very focused and well-trained in acute care and crisis medicine. So in many ways, we need them both, and the best, ha- best health care outcomes come when we work together for patients. That's excellent. Um, I was just going to ask you explain holistic medicine to us. I think you just did. <laughs> so I think some people are not sure exactly what holistic medicine, what that encompasses or what that means. And was there... I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Self um, really suggests that we look at the whole body, and from toe to head to toe, toe to head, and um, gather our, our story, our data, as it were, from each part. The body can tell us many things, even on just outward expression, about how the internal ecology is functioning and the efficiency thereof. By taking careful observation and looking at the whole body, we can often figure out what is going on with the patient without having to do a whole lot of tests tests, lab studies, imaging, that thing. So it, it's, it's really kind of exciting. It's, it's like a big treasure hunt for trying to help people with their um, situation. The other difference in naturopathic medicine that many experience from their uh, traditional MD uh, clinician is that our visits tend to last anywhere from 45 minutes to 90 minutes, and it's kind of what it takes to get to really know someone um, and their health concerns. Wouldn't it be nice if every primary care physician out there was a naturopath doctor? <laughs> Um, we have several um, states that we're working with. We used to be licensed in about 46 states. And then with the rise of pharmaceutical medicine, everybody thought that that was the new way to do things, and everybody sort of shifted towards the allopathic model. Unfortunately, we threw out a lot of babies with bathwater, if you will, and there's some of these old treatments that are hugely effective for people, and they're willing to do them. Compliance is one of the biggest problems in medicine, and if people aren't willing to do your treatment... It's not, you're not going to make much progress. So that's where, as naturopaths, we can kind of get in there and go, oh, you like tinctures, or you like dry herbs, or homeopathy, or just vitamin and supplements. We can make the corrections and allow you to reach the health goals that you're trying to achieve. Did you have um, a profound experience with uh, holistic medicine before you went to school? I mean, what made you... I understand that you were doing massage and kind of were looking around, but what is this... enough, I don't have that profound, oh, I was ill and um, Mm -hmm. found health story. But what I do have is, one, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. So it's a very outdoors, back to nature, and um, open-minded about um, just about any modality you might see. You'll see yogi... Yogis practicing next to acupuncturists, working with massage therapists, and on and on and on, energy medicine. Um, so I was sort of steeped in that, and as a massage therapist, over time I started to be able to read people's bodies. And by looking at them, um, the condition, um, make an assertion as to what their health was. And I got better and better at it, and uh, people are starting to go, hey, that's a good diagnosis. Um, that's more detail that you just offered me than my primary care physician offered me. Um, can you tell me more kind of thing? And over time, I started to hear the other side of the story of, 
my physician isn't giving me enough time in practice, and our visits, I don't feel heard, and massage therapists are probably, well, most like bartenders. They hear more stories than you'd possibly imagine about people, their interactions with each other, and their health. You know, who else spends an hour with you? And in an intimate situation, for the most part. You know, so um, that got me to just want to finally um, hone my craft, as it were, and uh, pursue it to its end, which was naturopathic medicine for me. And how do you feel about um, holistic medicine for uh, depression? It just seems like uh, I know a lot of people on medication, and I'm fascinated. I know for myself, I, I went gluten-free, and it changed my life. And I was just wondering how you see, uh, how you feel about the medications sure. that are being handed out there for that. You found one of the primary connections. Um, interestingly enough, the gut and the mind are intimately related. And if you don't have good gut health, it's really hard to have good mental health. So they're closely associated. Jeff, we'd like to welcome Elaine. She just came in, so she's going to say hi. Hi, folks. Sorry I'm late. Yeah, it happens sometimes, you know. Where are those car keys? Boy, I'm not going to tell you where they were. Okay. Welcome, welcome, Jeff. Thanks for coming on. Okay, go ahead. I'd love to hear your answer. Oh, yeah. We were talking about the gut and how it can have a mental-emotional connection, as it were. Um, Some 70% of the immune system resides in the GI. 90% of your serotonin is made in the gut. So if the system, the GI, the stomach, small intestine, large intestine, aren't functioning properly, then it's really hard for you to make the proper neurotransmitters that will, frankly, allow you to be happy and avoid depression. The mm-hmm. other side, so naturopaths are um, very well trained to look at the gut. That's one of our, our chief things. It's either we look at the gut or we look at sleep as our first step, because if you're not sleeping well, you're not healing well. Mm. So we got to work on both of them. And a lot of times with our diets, we live in this rushed society. We eat a diet that doesn't really fit with us. We sort of got a hybrid from mom and dad. It may not necessarily be the diet that's supportive for you, especially as you move through the ever-changing seasons of the year and or the seasons of your life. Things change. We change from needing nutrient density as, a, as, a, as an old person to when we're young, we need a lot of caloric density because we're growing. So these things change over time, and it sounds like you found the interesting uh, connection with gluten and how removing it changed your life. It did. Is there anything out there at all that absolutely has to have Western medication? Like, do, are you, you know, do you do you think that people could really get themselves in a good place with holistic medicine? I know. I think there's a lot of potential. Um, having um, actually, I have prescription rights in Oregon is. As uh, well as the Washington, um, we find that we don't use them very often. The most common things we use is, um, oddly enough, antibiotics, because they are a wonderful tool of medicine when used properly. Um, like if you've got a raging um, bladder infection, we really want to not let it get into the kidneys, for instance, mm-hmm. because that can cause permanent scarring, damage, and um, antibiotics are sometimes our best bet. But interestingly enough, the antibiotics, of course, you may have heard about the resistance antibiotics that are starting to really crop up. Fortunately, there's a, uh, a lot of compounds in the plant world, the botanical world, that um, are still um, highly antimicrobial. Everything from garlic to the berberine compounds, which is the compounds that make 
roots yellow, um, or woody plant of woody plants. So a lot of those are still very potent against these multiple resistant organisms. And um, so we still have those tools, fortunately. As far as other um, things, uh, we find uh, we do a lot of bioidentical hormones in our practice here, and most of those are plant-based. Um, thyroid is one of the ones that we sometimes need to work with other people uh, as far as, um, like, pharmaceutical-grade medication. And at times we end up using the pharmaceutical-grade medications just to get people over the bump mm-hmm. and get them heading towards health, and then they can uh, switch over to more of a, a natural plant-based or diet-lifestyle-based therapy. That's good to know. I think a lot of, I know there's some people on the, the far end of the spectrum that really don't want to go anywhere near a Western doctor whatsoever and are, are afraid of uh, Western medication. So that's good to know. Can you give, um, hey Jeff, can you give some examples of some of the patients that you've had over uh, the, the last few years and, and how they've um, recovered using homeopathy? Oh, uh, homeopathy is an interesting um, modality that naturopathic physicians, clinicians train for. Um, it's also, uh, there are pure, die-in-the-world homeopaths out there. Right. For those that don't know, homeopathy is based on the premise of like treats like. So, um, in many cases, we do an extensive interview to figure out the the constitutional homeopathy. And there's a difference between constitutional and acute. Acute homeopathies are just sort of really quick, almost off-the-hip sort of assessments as far as where the person is, what their chief complaints are, and um, there's what's known as a polycrest, and there's about 12 to 15 of those that get to a lot of those acute conditions. But, you know, just because you got a cold doesn't mean that's who you are. So for the acute conditions, we can use just some uh, very focused homeopathic medications, I'm sorry, um, to focus on removing, say, congestion in the head or earaches, et cetera. Whereas a constitutional um, homeopathic approach, which is your overall demeanor, your quirks, um, the quirkier, the better, because those are strange and unusual presentations, we call them. And we can kind of curtail that to some of the um, homeopathic medications, of which there's some two to 3,000 of them out there. Wow. So finding the right one can be a detailed event. Mm-hmm. But when we do find the right one, I mean, I've seen cases where we had a gentleman who had um, uh, peeling, sloughing of the skin off of his hands, mm-hmm. but it was just the palm. You've seen just about every dermatologist you could find in the given area. Been struggling with this for probably 15 years. We did a homeopathic intake, took some time with him, did a workup, and found uh, an intervention for him that we had to give him one treatment of it, and it went away. So that would be my homeo- one of my homeopathic miracles, where it's like, once you find the right... Uh, homeopathic medication that fits the keynotes of the case, a lot of times the symptoms are alleviated rather rapidly and can be long-term unless Mm -hmm. some life-changing event has shifted them off of that position. Mm. It's pretty fascinating in that regard. Interestingly enough, with homeopathy, um, 
it was sort of the father of homeopathy, Samuel Hahnemann, was uh, around some 250 years ago. He wrote a lot of his books and did a lot of his research. And you may find it interesting that he is the only physician in Washington, D.C. to have a monument. Wow. Homeopathy will not go away. <laughs> and no matter how many people go, well, there's nothing in there. How can it actually make a change for the individual? And mm. it's an energetic-based medicine. You find the higher potencies, you know, what you might find typically in the grocery, in the natural food grocery, would be like 12 to a 30 C. But we've got 200 C's and 1 M's, even 10, 20 M's. And the more you refine it, the more you dilute it, the more powerful it becomes as a medication for the mental-emotional state, more of the vibrational medicine, mm. whereas the lower potencies are more for physical medicines. Mm. So it's a pretty interesting um, philosophy of medicine, and I think it has a lot of potential to help with that if we just bring in one more arm of holistic medicine um, to support some of these patients. And our practice is like when we get stuck in other areas, we go, hmm, this could be a homeopathic and really strange symptomologies. Mm-hmm. Think of it that way. Are the flower remedies part of homeopathy? What is what is that considered? The box flower remedies are actually uh, another type of modality. Um, it's similar to homeopathy, but not the same philosophy. And we don't. I don't personally use that nearly as much as I do homeopathy. Um, but we have seen some cases where it can. Um, the one that most people are going to be familiar with is probably rescue remedy, right? Which is flower essences. And uh, brandy and spring water. <laughs> Sometimes we joke, is it brandy the actual active ingredient? Right. Oh, <laughs> calm but, uh, people down. The flower essences, you can select ones, and they can help to sort of nudge the person um, emotionally, spiritually, somewhat mentally, toward uh, a more of a healthy place for them. Help them to get rid of uh, everything from grief to traumas. Help them to work on resolution for those kind of things. And again, there's, there's probably a couple hundred of those different remedies for um, different uh, ailments or in combination of ailments. Damn, yeah. man. Now, is it, isn't, as well. isn't homeopathy a lot more accepted or uh, in England? Interestingly enough, overseas, um, not only homeopathy, but naturopathic medicine is right. more um, the norm that you might see here in the United States. Um, and homeopathic medicine really came out of uh, Germany. Hahnemann was a, was a German and mm. uh, worked with uh, a lot of his colleagues within there, Paris and uh, London. So that's kind of the, the hotbed of homeopathy. But again, that was some 250 years ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. What is the, do you have um, favorite conditions that you like to work with? Uh, ones I can help resolve. Yeah. yeah. And so what are, what are you finding? Um... Um, in our practice here at Evergreen, um, we do a lot of work with um, well, diet, nutrition, and lifestyle. So it comes, we spend a lot of time working with people and their GI system. Um, we're finding that they're, they're just not supported by the foods in their environment or they're overloaded by potential toxins that they take in. The other thing we do is a lot of um, what you could consider endocrinology in a Western practice, but we focus a lot on the adrenals. We're finding there are loads of people out there that are walking around with adrenals that are fatigued almost to the point of exhaustion. 
You know, and with many of these people, the first sign that they get is they get dizzy standing up. Mm-hmm. They start to crave salt. They don't have the energy throughout the day that they need. Mm-hmm. Sounds and like a lot of people. Enough, the adrenals are the one gland you can't take out. There's no replacement for the adrenals. You can take a thyroid out, mm-hmm. replace it with thyroid hormones. You can take the ovaries out, replace it with estrogen. You can't take the adrenals out. They do so much for us. Wow. What is it that people are doing to tax the adrenals? Uh, living in modern life. Um <laughs> Interestingly enough, I would like to actually do a study to see how much adrenal fatigue there was about 100 years ago when the inventions of the light bulb and caffeine or coffee came to the modern society. But um, we burn through life, um, go, 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 seldom get a chance to rest and repose. Um, Often when we get busy, what's the first thing we put down, which is uh, our creative outlet. Mm-hmm. We don't make time for them anymore. And that's actually what helps charge us back up for the rest of life. So, right. We don't play enough. We don't play. We, You know, if there's 24 hours in the day, if you do eight hours sleep, eight hours work, eight hours play is supposed to be what the other is for. But a lot of times it ends up being work. Yeah, 16 hours of work, eight hours of sleep if you're lucky. Yeah. And um, hit reset. Right. And repeat, right? Right. <laughs> the reset so, button. Um, the go, go, go mm. lifestyle, plus, again, the, the foods don't support us as they should. People, unfortunately, aren't sleeping as they should. Um, and uh, that's all a contributing factor. So, caffeine and a light bulb. What do you, um, you told me a while back that you do some work with people's blood. Tell, tell, tell us about that. I'm sure our listeners are eager to find out what, what you find in, in the blood and what that tells you about people. Ah, we do, um, your typical annual blood work is one of the first things we tend to do with patients. And um, what we do is, one, we bring it back to lab and get back the reports, and we look at the highs and lows. Those are interesting, but that's basically pathology is already set in, so that's stuff that needs to be immediately addressed. What we then do is, once we've looked at those elements, is narrow the ranges and do what we call a functional blood workup. So we narrow them by, I don't know, 15, 20% in many cases. And there's starting to become more and more lab data out there that suggests we need to narrow the ranges a little bit on some of these blood values. But your annual blood work, which is a CBC, a comp metabolic panel, which is liver and kidney function, and a lipid profile, mm-hmm. tell us a lot about vitamin and mineral status. It can tell us... Um, free radical status, like if you um, need antioxidants, for instance, or a lot of times we tell people to eat more color in food because that's where the antioxidants are hidden, especially the darker the red, the darker the blue, like blueberries and raspberries, or uh, blackberries, raspberries, um, the more antioxidant capacity these foods have for you. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, we can kind of give them a preventative read of um, their overall health and make suggestions. A lot of times we can start with even just um, uh, specific nutrients, like say they're missing a B vitamin, or we're seeing a lot of people that are uh, mineral depleted. We just don't seem to be able to absorb the minerals like we used to. A lot of that's because of the the stomach acid. The stomach acid that you need to absorb minerals, the stomach goes from roughly a pH of 5 down to 2. Everything ionizes down around 2 to 3. So if we keep pushing the pH back up, 
with diluting our food, not chewing our food, not getting the enzymes mixed up from chewing and um, released into the, the, the chyme or the, the bolus that you've made of food. Um, you're not breaking these things down as well as you could and not able to absorb them as well as you could. It's interesting. Throw in the, the minerals. Of artificial flavors and colors and mm-hmm. preservatives, it just kind of muddies the water even more. So we're not able to absorb these things like we should. You know, when you're 20 years old, you secrete quite a bit of HCL that you don't secrete when you're about 50. It's almost a 75% decrease over the, that time period. So, of course, we're having people with osteoporosis, osteopenia, develop because they're just not able to ionize their and get the nutrients from them. And, uh, you know, over-the-counter medications, which seems to be the big fix, you know, Tums or Prilosec or proton pump inhibitors at large um, are pretty, they're one of the most prescribed things. Yeah, but Tums have calcium, Jeff. But it's not absorbable. <laughs> it's not bioavailable. You don't suck it up. Right. It also has aluminum in it. Oh, that can't be good to eat. <laughs> that can't be good to eat. You know, and a lot of these products that say, well, calcium, the calcium is uh, is destroyed a lot of times in the stomach, right? It doesn't make its way through? It doesn't get past the stomach and into the bloodstream like it should. Right. In fact, calcium, high levels, they're taking it to lower, or actually, you can think of it as raising the pH back towards the neutral. So at that point, you're not able to ionize the calcium to a level it's absorbable. Okay. That, now that explanation makes sense. So let's talk about poop. Let's talk about poop. Yeah. I don't hear you, I don't hear you that <laughs> well. Can you? I guess he can hear you. All right. Yeah. Poopologist. <laughs> so if you have healthy poop, can you just pretty much assume that you're healthy? <laughs> um, to some extent, but what is, you know, healthy? I mean, some people think they have healthy poop if they're going three times a week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Other people three times a day. Mm-hmm. So what's healthy? Yeah, well, what is it? Well, we find that most people do best somewhere around once a day. A transit time, it takes about 18 hours average to get through the gut, right? Yeah. And you're, you're welcome to try this at home yourself. Maybe um, go to the barbecue that serves corn, for instance. Yeah, corn's it. And just take still note there. of when you might see some on the other side, as it were. Mm-hmm. should be about 18 hours. Now, if it goes too slow, you tend to risk putrefication, and you end up with a lot of gas. Now, there's an interesting thing about gas. There's gas with odor, and there's gas without odor, right? Mm-hmm. If you haven't experienced it, you can forget this part. <laughs> the um, gas with odor tends to be defects in protein metabolism. You're not able to break the proteins down, so you get a lot of the sulfhydryl compounds that have quite a foul odor. The gas without odor tends to be related to carbohydrate metabolism breakdown. So there's fermentation going on. Right. Enough fermentation can actually make alcohol in your gut and increase your blood sugars. Right. So you, well, you get like confusion and Sorry? it's become it makes you like confused, hard to make decisions. That kind yeah, of all uh, these, these strange molecules affect our neurotransmitters. Not only that, but the, the the gut flora, the bacterial, is the reason that people take the probiotics. Right. To keep their um, gut flora happy, as it were. They make some of our essential vitamins. They make some of the vitamin K. Some of the B vitamins are made by the gut flora. Right. So if we have disharmony, or dysbiosis, they'll call it, in the gut, 
it can throw off your brain chemistry yeah. considerably. It can throw off your blood sugars considerably. Yeah, that happened to me in my 20s, and the doctor put me on, a homeopathic doctor, on a candida diet for it. Sure. And it really took care of that sort of fermentation going on. The gut, the gut can basically turn into a still, just like an alcohol still. It does. <laughs> you know, when you're walking around and, like drunk all the time. And I must say, it seems most people have a low-level candida. I mean, we don't worry about it. If we, see, we, we do a lab where we see it all rated from a 1 to a 4. And yeah. if we don't see it over a 2, we, um, that's when we start to get involved. A lot of people have low-level candida. It's just part of a commensal. And um, the, the thing we often say is it's hard to kill but easy to overpower. Oh, yeah. You mean by what, adding nystatin or something? Um, I would think fermented foods way before nystatin. Nystatin is very hard on the GI as a whole and overloads the liver. The liver, right? The liver so, no yeah, so try doing diet first and then... Sure, you know. and you know, part of the reason we have more dysbiosis in our population at large is we don't eat the fermented foods we used to eat. Oh, yeah. You know, um, it's kind of curious. Uh, there's been a popular movement to eat more soy, but nobody's really looking back to the, the cultures that cultivated soy first, and they find, if you look in their dietary um, roles of soy, you will find they usually eat it fermented, like... A miso soup. The Japanese diet, yeah. Exactly, a Japanese diet. They're not eating a lot of the just raw curd. It's hard to break down, for starters. Interestingly enough, there's an enzyme in soy that hasn't been broken down or fermented. Right. It actually inhibits protein absorption. Yeah. And it's around 12 grams of soy that'll do that. And we're finding more and more people are intolerant of soy. Yeah, I sure am. Um, I saw, um, I've seen a sprouted soy... Um, or sprouted t- soy tofu in the store. How do you feel about that? The soy and tofu products? Um, no, sprouted. sprouted. It's a sprouted tofu. Sprouted soy tofu. Sprouted soy tofu. Well, I got to say, I'm a little biased about soy because I'm, a, I'm allergic to it. I'm sensitive to it. <laughs> yeah. No, I just was wondering if you, if you thought that that if might that be made a difference. any more digestible than just regular tofu. Sprouting can make things a little more digestible, and it can make the, the, the vitamin and nutrient load go up. Okay. So all these vitamins are packed up in the seed, as it were, the bean, and then uh, aren't really released until metabolism starts over and the seed starts to grow. So just like any like legumes, some people you know just can eat the bean, but the covering or the shell of it is hard to digest. So it's like it cancels the nutrient value out in a way. Sure, and, and causes pain and discomfort. The breakdown the starches quite and the proteins quite right. So if you add a little bit of uh, minerals to it, it can complete the process of the enzyme. And what do you mean uh, by adding minerals? What would you add? Brags uh, or a lot of them are coats with. Uh, you add maybe a teaspoon of uh, seaweed or kelp okay. to the broth to help release the enzymatic process. Right. It effectively lets things start to grow in a way and loosens it up so the nutrients are more available. That's starting to sound a little like Ayurveda. It's got a touch of that philosophy. These are some of the old world um, right. health practices. You know, It's kind of naturopathic in a way. It's sort of a blend between Ayurveda Eastern philosophy as far as, you know, oriental medicine. Mm-hmm. And also the old Celtic medicine. Wow, so, yeah. Sort of a hybrid of the three, if you will. Right. And uh, it seems to be pretty effective. Interestingly enough, 
a lot of times when we start with people, we're like, we basically tell them, you know, um, your grandma was pretty much right when she told you to eat some a lot of variety of food, drink purified healthy water, get outside in the sun or light, do some exercise, eat color in food. You know, all of these things are hugely, um, you know, cornerstones of good health, really. Okay, so you mentioned the light bulb and caffeine, but what about the invention of the, you know, the computer, the iPad, the iPhone, all these things that people are basically spending a lot more time indoors? You think that has, well, obviously has effect on the body. It does, and the greatest detriment I would assert is to the lymphatic system. We don't move around like we used to, and the lymphatic system, as you may know, has no pump, like, say, the heart for the circulatory system. Right. It's all based on movement. There's a little tiny pump in all the folds in your body. Right. There's one right there in the piece of your elbow. When you bring your hand towards your, your face, you pump a little limb up towards the shoulder. Right. Now you move around. It helps to pump it through the system. So the lymphatic system's not working well, which you could think of as the sewer system of the body. And the immune and system. And get back yeah. up. We have more disease processes that can set in. Right. More disharmony with metabolism. Body works harder to find homeostasis, and also um, the, the large disease processes have a chance to take root, like the cancers and these other sort of uh, end-stage disease processes. Really, cancers take 30, 40, 50 years to develop in many cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, sedentary lifestyle, I think, is a part of it. Right. Plus, as we're finding, getting outside is huge as far as vitamin D levels, for instance. You guys may have heard of. You know, the sunshine vitamin is kind of all the rage these days. Right. We worked oh. with it a lot when I was in a clinic back in Seattle, and um, the sun barely shines during the winter months there. Right. And we see we actually had a term for it, seasonal affective disorder. Right. We would measure these people that had seasonal depression, their vitamin D status, and it would be very low in many cases. I've even seen single digits where we... Um, don't like to see it under 30, for instance. Wow. That's vitamin D3, 25-hydroxy, that we like to measure. And um, it's a relatively simple test, and supplementation is pretty easy as well. Because mm-hmm. it's a fat-soluble vitamin, you take it as drops in our office, is how we like to provide it. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to go back to Candida albitans for just a moment, because when you said a lot of people have a low-grade Candida problem... What is candida caused by? Well, candida is just one of the commensal funguses that grow in our environment. And um, it can be spurred on by poor immune status. So stress can do a lot of that. And also sugar metabolism issues, which, oddly enough, stress can do a lot of that as well. I mean, stress is the root of around 80% of diseases. Right. Um, And then also taking antibiotics, a lot of antibiotic treatments at a young age or for long-term antibiotics. Didn't that have something to do with it as well? That can encourage quite a bit, actually. Um, In many cases, you might see a child that had a lot of ear infections, for instance. They had typically several courses of antibiotics, maybe by the age 7 to 10, say. Right. So a lot of times their gut never really got a good, healthy flora established. Mm-hmm. and they will be faced with long-term health consequences of that until they get some sort of correction going on. 
Right. Sometimes they go to college and start eating different foods, and that helps balance things out. Right. Not often, because we don't usually improve our diets when we go to... <laughs> <laughs> go away from home, education. yeah. But in some cases, getting away from home and experimenting exactly. with the diet... You know, change of environment yeah. does a lot of that. I see, um, uh-huh. You know, but interestingly enough, candida can actually be somewhat protective in some situations. When we see high levels of candida, we also think about mercury toxicity because the candida yeast has got the ability to detoxify mercury from our systems. Okay. So if I have some a patient with a high level of candida, before I start to get rid of the candida, I want to make sure that they don't have a high mercury load, which we do in a urinary study. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, will then proceed removing the candida. It's very interesting. I've never heard that before. It's hard to kill, but it's easy to overpower. Okay. And what do you mean by that? Because we never finished that statement. What I mean is if you try to go after it with some of the frontline antibiotics, typically you're doing more damage to the entire gut than you are actually removing the candida. Okay. Whereas if we get control of sugar metabolism, shift them away from... Simple carbohydrates, and by that I mean the white carbohydrates, sugar, flour, etc. Refined carbs, right. not the vegetables with color. Those are complex carbohydrates. Okay. So shift the diet towards that and get more fermented foods into the diet. Those help to introduce more of the healthy bacteria, which outcompete the yeast. They divide at a faster rate. They are more adapted to the terrain than the yeast are. Okay. So um, a lot of times we can get other organisms to out-compete. That's what I mean by easy to overpower. And, and what kind of foods are those? Uh, that would be any sauerkraut or fermented foods, even as yogurt or okay. um, the kefir, kimchi would be another one. Right. Just Things along those lines where... Sour foods. <laughs> uh-huh. Sour foods like that. Okay, Um. Jeff, just a moment. I want to do a station identification here quickly. So uh, you're listening to the massagepodcast.com. You can contact us there on our contact page or come chat with us live during our live recordings. Our number to be reached is 303-656-9860. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And now you can also download our podcast from iTunes. If you're listening out there, I know we got a call from a guy who's listening uh, to us, Mike. Hi, if you're listening, uh, while he works out on his, he's a cyclist. So yeah, we just got set up with a sports massage therapist out there in Salt Lake City. Thanks, Mike, for your comments. We really appreciate it. All right, going back to Jeff Kiker, who's a uh, talking to us today about homeopathy and uh, he's a naturopathic physician as well as a massage therapist. And here's where I want to go next, Jeff. How do you see the role of massage therapy? Um, how does that play? both into uh, working with a doctor like yourself and also because you are a massage therapist, how do you think that has influenced you as a, do- as a physician? Ah, good question. Um, well, we do have a massage therapist in our office. and It was a long and hard battle to find one that was comfortable with working in a doctor's office. Um, a good, solid foundation in education is a key to that. Mm-hmm. Um, being comfortable with uh, self-guarding, for instance. Not only for the patient, but for yourself. So if the patient comes back six months after you've seen him, tells you, oh, I've seen a bunch of other massage therapists. You're the best one. I want exactly what you did before. If you didn't write it down, you might be hard-pressed. That's right. 
wonderful uh, <laughs> therapy. Yeah, where's the soap chart, right? Have you seen that patient, right? Uh-huh. So, um, also, I think uh, medical massage is a very good benefit um, for patients within our practice um, because we, one, we spend more time with the skin than a massage therapist. Yeah, nobody. We pick up on some of the strange lesions. Mm-hmm. As long as they know enough to say, hmm, that looks a little strange, we should get you to see a dermatologist, for instance, or your primary care provider. Mm-hmm. That can be a huge asset to a patient. Right. You know, they can't see the stuff on their back. Mm-hmm. Not like a massage therapist. Um, so I think they play a vital role, role in the health care delivery in this country. Also, as a medical massage therapist, they have the ability to do some research that other people aren't really having access or pursuing. Right. So there's, again, another excellent opportunity for them to advance the career of massage therapists as a whole. Yeah, and in our office, we, we love them. I like mm-hmm. to trade with them. Yeah. <laughs> Right? <laughs> so you're still keeping your hands in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, fresh as it were. Right. And, uh, you know, always learning new things. That's the, the fun part of healthcare, really, is there's always more to learn, always new presentations that you may not have seen before and ways you can help people out through um, what is often their greatest challenge in life, their health. Right. Now, um, as far as the massage is concerned and your concern with the gut, uh, do you encourage then your patients to receive abdominal massage, which so many of them really kind of, you know, they don't really want a lot of times? Often on a case-by-case, sometimes they're a little too skittish, like you say. It's our big unprotected area in the body is you don't have a rib cage like you do over the heart and lungs. Mm-hmm. So it's very soft and vulnerable for a lot of people. Right, and um, painful sometimes too, just painful. In as- many cases, you know, um, we see a lot of people where the gut is actually what brought them into the office. They followed their gut into the office. Right. So um, entry level on that can be a little slow. We also do a lot of things with, um, we train our massage therapists to do a couple of advanced therapies along the lines of hydrotherapies. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from castor oil packs to hot fomentation, constitutional hydrotherapy, which is a series of cold and hot towels that helps to stimulate the immune system, increase the vitality. Mm-hmm. It helps to um, clear the splanchnic bed, which is the low-flow venous blood system that surrounds all the organs of the gut. So, you know, um, there's barely any blood pressure that goes through there, so they get clogged up with kind of like the limbs uh, of winter in a stream. And every once in a while, it's good to have a spring runoff come and clear them out. Right. Right. We used to make comfrey packs. Comfrey was a big herb that we used to make uh, poultices to put on the abdomen. Uh, this was back in New York because my pathology teacher back then, he was all about comfrey. Um, do you utilize that herb at all? Um, not so much in packs, but it's a good idea. Um, there, uh, probably about 10, 15 years ago, there was a big scare with comfrey. How it, um, it does a wonderful job of helping cells divide and become what they should, but it almost does too well. It heals wounds almost too fast sometimes. I see, yeah. So, it's an aggressive um, herb. It's it's an aggressive healer. Yeah, wow. You know, which it, if handled wrong, it can um, do some damage. You yeah. know, get things to heal over before the body's really ready for it. Wow. But on the other hand, it's a wonderful herb for helping the body out when it's not able to rise to the occasion. So um, a comfrey pack is, is uh, a really uh, beneficial for many of these patients. Mm-hmm. You know, castor oil is another one that we 
use up here as far as doing some more things. It helps you drag toxins into the lymphatic system right. as well so that they can be processed. Right, yes. It helps to detoxify the liver. So um, it's really quite a benefit to uh, do castor oil packs. Right, like everything else, it's, uh, you know, uh, I would say that dosage is very important. Yeah, it's dosage and knowing the, the indications and contraindications for all these things is, is vital. So again, Absolutely. Back to quality massage education, if you're interested in doing so many of the vast things that you can do as a massage therapist, it's, it's really wise to, to, to take the best training you can find. Right. You know, and... Um, It'll give you more options later, for sure. You know, as a graduate from the school I went to, I was able to walk into places, and they were um, excited to talk to me. I had also passed the national exam, so that was a, a good credential to have. Mm-hmm. Got me ahead of the line in front of some other uh, practitioners. Oh, I see, yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of schooling and, you know, continuing ed. And all that, yeah. The field always has more. Right. Offer. You have to keep up with that. Hey, Jorge has a question. Uh, Jeff, uh, what is your take about colon cleansing through stuff like colon hydrotherapy or colonics? Ah, colon hydrotherapy and colonics. Is, um, they can be, uh, it's a mixed bag, of course. Mm-hmm. Again, like anything, um, indication is very important. Knowing what you're doing is very important. Um, we have used it with detoxing people. Um more so in Portland than I am in Colorado right now, but uh, where we, we do have a round of colon hydrotherapy go along with, like, say, chelation therapies for heavy metals to help the body clear things a lot faster. Um, of course, I've seen the other side of it when people use them too much. Mm-hmm. Um, properly done, it should be low pressure, slow fill, and drain, where sometimes they use a higher pressure, you can risk bowel perforation, you can distort the uh, flora of the large intestine considerably if you do them too frequently. Um, a lot of times people even do the coffee enemas and whatnot to help do osmolar draws. Interestingly enough, you can do a very similar thing with uh, a high level of Epsom salt. You can take it by mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can dry the tissue out over time. So um, as we've seen some people where they're doing them too much and their cholesterol levels are affected to the downside. You know, we're seeing cholesterol sometimes in the 120s and 130s, where they should be probably no lower than 150. Wow. Um, because That's cholesterol right. is an important uh, molecule for the body. It's expensive to make, it takes a lot of ATP, and it's a precursor to many of your sterol hormones. Everything from cortisol, estrogens, testosterone, vitamin D are all made from cholesterol. So if you get it too right. low, you can actually cause more trouble. Right. So it's a basic. Yeah, it's it's finding yeah. that sweet spot. Hmm. So it's a basic cholesterol, you know, the, the ground substance for almost everything in our bodies. Huh. So go easy with the colonic. You know, when I was in New York, my first colonic when I was 19 years old scared the hell out of me because it was a fast fill. You know, everything in New York is fast. It was very aggressive, and I felt almost too emptied out when I left there. It's almost like standing on Second Avenue, you know, with the traffic going by, and it was like, I want my crap back, you know? <laughs> I felt scared out there alone without my stuff. <laughs> and uh, it was um, not until I moved out here to Boulder that I got my first slow fill, and I thought, what a different experience that is. But again, going to a, 
uh, a, a really well-trained practitioner um, for colonic irrigation is a really important thing. And then there's a lot of people who just put it down here in the United States. I think that's another one where in Europe, especially in England, you know, it's a lot more acceptable uh, practice. But uh, there's can, a lot more of the nature cure type stuff out there. You know, loam baths. You know, you go to the, the clinic, spend a, a week, a month to eat good nutritious food, exercise, have a lot of massages. Right. Sauna is a great thing for detoxing the body. You know, the skin's our largest largest organ of elimination. Right. You want to use it to help eliminate. Yes. You Take know? the rescue uh, idea. What's that? Take the rescue. We call it mm-hmm. taking the waters when you go to the spa and taking the rest cure, which I think a lot of Americans could use as a rest cure. We never rest enough. No, not a bit. And we're seeing the, the, the downsides of it. You know, we're not sleeping well. We're not digesting well. We've got the rise of chronic disease like no other. We spend more than any other country and get less as hmm. far as actual health. Yeah. So we're, we're paying the, the price for what really could be take a month off, like they do in some of the European countries. Yeah, the Germans take a month off and they all go to Italy. Build you know? your body, spend time <laughs> with your family. Right. You know, get to know them, as it were, besides Facebook or what have you. Right. And, uh, you know, some will say that that's more what life is about than running around pursuing as many, I don't know, toys as you can stuff in your garage as an American does. Yeah. All right. Well, good good uh, information to have and to get out there, especially to massage therapists, you know, who are trying to stay relaxed, who learn in school, in the massage school training, how, you know, how stress, negative stress is knocking off our society in not good ways and how we're supposed to be going out there to help people with all that. So with all that great information you gave us today, can we add you another thing to think, to tell us about? Or do you have a tip of the day, tip of the week? Right now, in our clinic, we're seeing a lot of people with allergies. Oh, yeah. Find local honey, something grown or harvested within 25, 50 miles at most of your um, the place you live, work, play. Okay. And you can help to decrease your allergies considerably. Really? From yeah, eating local honey? Allergies. Putting it in it's your tea? It's a small dose. It's about a teaspoon at a time. One, one a day. A teaspoon and a day. It's kind of back to the homeopathy. Okay. Yeah, as far as those bees collected small doses, and they offer them to you through honey of all the different flowers that are in your area. Wow. That's a great uh, thing. A couple of my friends right now are going to be trying that this afternoon because they're just, they say like, you know, they breathe in and like they're getting knives in their nose. And I feel bad for them because I don't have these allergies that, but people are being affected a lot these last couple of weeks with the winds and all. So, oh, sure. thanks for that. We're trying to get a little bit of the water here in Colorado, and it's, uh, all the plants are going to wake up here. Yeah, right. All right, Jeff. Just recently, and now we're, we're starting to look at the grasses. That's right. Well, we thank you so much, Jeff Kiker, for joining us today. We're going to have your website connected to our website, massagepodcast.com. So, folks, you can link and check out his great clinic up there in Evergreen, Colorado, and uh, go see him if you've got some... Uh, health issues you'd like him to address. So we really appreciate having you on, and we'll see you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And, uh, yeah, get a hold of us if you would like some more information. HolisticTherapies.us. Okay. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye, all. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.